We're going to continue on in our sub-series in Romans called Romans, Living by the Spirit. And the sermon title today is Beauty and Groans. You'll see why it's titled that. But let's back up a little bit and see where we are in the book of Romans. We started by looking at Romans 7, and we talked about how living by the law or just moral striving or rule-dominated life doesn't work. We often want to do the right thing, but we're not able to do it. And this causes shame, guilt, self-condemnation, and negative self-talk. We said that living by the law or rules is really trying to fix your life, external life, without really working on an internal, inner part of your life. And so then what is living by the Spirit? Is there another way? So there is. And so as we said that chapter 7 talked about um, what doesn't work, which is living by the law. And chapter 8 talks about what works, living by the spirit. And so in chapter 8, we started with the foundation of living by the spirit, and that is grace. Grace is the foundation of everything. If we're not building on grace, we're not building on, on the spirit of God. And grace tells us that God went to the cross for us. God in Jesus went to the cross for us. So there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that also means we are called to stop condemning ourselves and start accepting ourselves as we are. And then we talked about uh, in, in um, verses 5 to 13 of chapter 8, we talked about the house of living by the Spirit. How do you actually live by the Spirit? If living by the Spirit is not just moral striving, trying to do the right thing, then what is it? Does it mean that we don't do anything? And we said, yes, there is something we can do, and that's called spiritual discipline or spiritual practices. And those are practices that we do that place ourselves in a place where God can take a hold of us and change us. So it's not us trying to change ourselves. It's us putting ourselves in a place that God can take a hold of us and change us. Those are, you know, spiritual practices simply are like things like um, prayer, meditation, solitude, or community, coming to worship, Bible study, things of that. It, it could run a whole gamut of things. And it's really you know, uh, how you figure that out is up to you, up to your creativity. But putting yourself in a place where God can take a hold of you. That's what living by the Spirit looks like. And then last week, Pastor Danny preached, and uh, we learned that living by the Spirit is to live as a child of God in an intimate relationship with God. We're not slaves, we are beloved children, and that's who we are, and that's, who, that's what the Holy Spirit testifies to us, testifies to you that you are a beloved child of God. And you know, I know we hear this all the time, but if when we let that soak in, there's power, power, because we don't have to earn a status, we don't have to earn it to be somebody, we are somebody because God says, you're my child. Okay. And today, we're going to look at um, verses 18 to 27 of 
chapter 8 of Romans and continue to learn about how to live by the Spirit, okay? So today's question is this. Does living by the Spirit mean that we are free from suffering? If not, how do we handle suffering in our lives as we seek to live by the Spirit? That's the question for today. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. I'm going to be reading out of NRSV updated version, and it should be on the screen. And you might want to keep it, if you have a phone or whatever, Bible, nobody carries a Bible anymore. If you have a phone, um, you can follow along, because I'll be going back to this text over and over again during the sermon. Verse 18, I consider that the suffering of this present time, oh, yeah. Can we have have the uh, verses? Okay. Let me, uh, huh? Oh, it's not in the slides? Wow, it should be. Uh, Can you update the slides to make sure? Um, Okay, well, I have to go on. Open your Bibles then. You have no excuse. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, we do have it. Thank you. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about two things. One, the reality of suffering. And two, how does the Spirit help us in our suffering? And we're going to talk about beauty and groans. So first, um, the reality of suffering. So verse 18 starts out with the reality of the suffering in the present times, right? So it's pretty clear. Although God gives us the resources to be able to handle suffering, the Bible does not promise a life without suffering. It acknowledges the reality of suffering in our lives. Of course, there are a lot of different causes of suffering. You know, bad or sinful decisions we make can cause suffering. Or bad or sinful decisions that other people make can cause suffering. Or bad or sinful decisions that society or government or, you know, people make can cause 
suffering as well. This passage, however, focuses on natural sufferings, physical suffering, diseases, COVID, natural disasters, decaying, decaying of the body. Talks about the suffering of the creation. You notice that word creation over and over again. That means nature, physical nature. So like verse 20 says, for the creation was subject to fertility. Verse 22 says, whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. Verse 21 says, a good creation as being enslaved to decay. And uh, verse 23 talks about how uh, we, as part of the creation, also groan inwardly. So to summarize, even though the creation is absolutely beautiful, something is wrong with the creation, according to the scriptures. There's fertility, there's decay, groaning, suffering, pain, inward groans of the heart, um, a, a desire for the redemption of our bodies, meaning that, 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 that we, we, we have this desire for healing and wholeness, but it's not there. That's our reality. So the question is, how do we deal with this reality? What does it mean to live in the spirit when we are in pain, when creation is in pain, when, our, when people we love are in pain and in suffering, when the world is groaning? How do we live in the spirit? That's the question. So, which leads me to the second point, how does the spirit help us with our suffering? So first of all, beauty, beauty. If you go to verse uh, 18, it says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. The word glory here means supreme beauty, excellence, or ma majesty, something absolutely beautiful, something absolutely excellent, something absolutely majestic will be revealed. And Apostle Paul says, our present suffering can't compare to the beauty that is about to come. The beauty, the glory that is about to come. And then it says in verse 19, for creation, as I said, this means nature. Trees, you know, plants, animals, oceans, mountains, everything God created waits with eager longing to the revealing of the children of God. So the creation waits for eager uh, longing for the redemption of humanity. And so something about the resurrection of humanity, when, you know, Jesus was resurrected and God promises in that day, we will also be resurrected. When that resurrection happened, there is something, uh, it's not just humanity that's okay and everything else is messed up. Everything will be renewed. That's what he's saying. For the creation was subjected, subjected to futility, not by his own will, but by the will of one who subjected it. Um, for some reason, creation is not as it should be, right? But it said, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together in pains of labor. And not only 
the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for the adoption, adoption, the redemption of our body. So what is this passage saying about how to deal with our suffering? It is saying, behold the beauty that is coming. Behold the beauty that is coming. Don't just look at your present circumstances. Look at what is coming. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be beautiful in a way that the world has never seen. It's like, as I said, it's not just going to save humanity and, and, and give us resurrected bodies and redeem bodies that don't get sick or, or get weak anymore. It's going to tr transform the entire creation. Christianity is not a religion where, in the, where we save individual soul and, and, and we go to heaven and while the world and the creation burn up and go to the hell in the handbasket. That is not our, that's not what our faith tells us. That's not what the Bible tells us. It teaches that God will renew everything. God will liberate everything. God will not only free all people from oppression, he will also liberate all creation from oppression and decay. The beauty of God's creation is restored. And he's calling us to look. When we're, when we're going through a hard time, look at that which is to come. Look at that which is to come. We don't see it yet. And he says in verse 24, 25, that we can't see this hope. This beauty that is, is to come is the ultimate hope, right? We can't see this hope with our eyes. But he says, this, this, this is real. And how do we see this beauty, this hope in the future that is to come? How do we see this in the present time when we're going through a tough time? How do we see with our eyes the reality that we don't actually see physically? How do we do this? How do we actually practice this? Through imagination. Through imagination. God is calling us to the holy practice of imagination. It's a spiritual practice. Imagine that which is to come. That's what he's saying here, right? You can't see it. So if you can't see it, what do you do? How do you actually see that which you can't see? Through your eyes of imagination, God has given you that, that beautiful ability. In fact, um, he goes on to, um, to give us a practical illustration of how this works. How we imagine beauty when we're in pain. Uh, a woman in labor, he says. He says the whole world is groaning like a woman in labor. And the whole world is suffering in pain of labor. And when we're in a pain of uh, groaning in pain in labor, when we're suffering, when our bodies are sick, when, our, when we are victims of violence, or when our relationships are broken, and when, when we continue to struggle in pain, he's saying, look at the beauty of the newborn baby that is to be birthed. How does a woman in labor deal with her pain? by imagining beauty, by imagining this baby to come, right? 
siblings in Christ, when you're in pain, when you're groaning, engage in the spiritual practice of imagination. You know, for many months, um, I went through the Ignatius spiritual exercises. Um, in it, uh, he encouraged the use of spiritual practice of imagination. So I spent weeks meditating on various scenes of the life of Jesus. And so we'll read a passage in the life of Jesus. And there'll be some questions that cause us to place ourselves in that scene with all of our senses. What do we smell? What do we see? What do we feel? What do we hear? What can we touch? How do you, how do you, how do you feel when Jesus says this? How do you feel when this happened? Just putting yourself there. How do you know these things? By imagination, by putting yourself in that place. You get to feel what Jesus is feeling. And you get to feel what Jesus might be saying. The Spirit of God, what I'm saying is, speaks to us as we put ourselves in a place where we can see God through the eyes of our imagination. You know, Ignatius... Um, said he was brought to faith through this you know, spiritual practice of imagination. He was a soldier in the military, but his life changed when he was injured uh, in a battle and spent several months in recovery. And during the long you know, hours of just waiting for his body to recover, um, he, he got bored. And, you know, initially he, he started to imagine what his life would be like when his legs are, you know, healed and he'll go back to the military and all the things he would do uh, as a soldier in the military. But then he got really bored just thinking about that, so he asked for some books to read and they gave him two books, one on the life of Jesus and one on the life of the saints. And... Um, and then um, Larry Werner, who's my spiritual director, he wrote a book called Journey with Jesus in which he talks about Ignatius. Um, and he said this, the only two books available to him were one on the lives of saints, another on the life of Jesus. As he read these two books, he began to imagine what it would be like to live uh, like the saints and walk with Jesus. As he did this, he noticed the excitement and inner transformation that took place in his heart and soul, leaving him at peace and satisfied. God used Ignatius' imagination to get a hold of him and transform him from a soldier into a follower of Jesus. God, now that's end of the quote, God can use your imagination to go deeper into the life of Jesus, and God can use your imagination to change your heart. Now, I, I know some of you are saying, imagination, that sounds kind of New Age-ish or whatever, or, you know, it's not, doesn't sound very Christian, but let me tell you, it is. It's all over the scripture. Be, just the very central idea of faith is seeing true reality even when you don't see it. Seeing God, how do you do it? Through imagination. Or hope. Here, we're talking about hopes. Seeing a positive future, even when you don't see it with your eyes. How? 
through the spiritual practice of imagination. Love, you know, the way you love one another. You know, how do you, how do you see a person as a person of infinite value? Even when you don't see that with your eyes. Through imagination. Seeing through imagination. So let's go back to the passage at hand. We see Paul actually calling us to this spiritual practice of imagination. Paul is calling us to see the moment when Jesus comes back and restores everything. How do you do that when you don't see it? Through imagination. Put yourself in that scene. Put yourself in a place when true beauty is revealed. Put yourself in a place where all oppression, all injustice, all pain, all sufferings are no more. And there's ultimate and true justice that prevails. Put yourself in a place where we can experience the fullness of God's love and presence. That's our future. If you can imagine that beauty, if you can see God's presence, if you can see that your pain is only temporary, if you can see that God is doing something beyond what you're thinking, if you can see that God is greater and bigger and more loving, and that he loves you more than you can ever imagine, if you can see those things, it will transform the way you interact with your suffering. Do you see this? Do you see this? I know that oftentimes when we look at our sufferings, we see uh, a natural trajectory of our lives. We go, you know, something bad happens, and some of us go on a kind of a spin and go, oh my goodness, it's going to lead to this. You know, I'm, you know, I lost my job, I got laid up. Oh, I'm not going to have a place to live, and I'm, you know, this, this is going to. And then we just kind of, and then we kind of project the future, the trajectory of that future, and go, and see no hope whatsoever, and your suffering is multiple. You get sick or you, you get depressed and, and it, it accentuates the negative trajectory of your life and you lose hope in your life whatsoever. And I think the scripture is saying, look to see God, imagine God and see hope. There's not only ultimate hope, even if you die, God's got you. You know, there's not only ultimate hope, but God is behind the scene in everything. And we're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But God, don't lose hope in the reality of what God is doing behind the scene and what God will ultimately do. See the beauty of who God is and inject that into little conversations that you have with yourself. Inject the beauty of God into your life. Beauty will save you from your hardship. Second, the Spirit helps us through groanings. That's what he says, right? So if you look at verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we are, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. 
Spirit intercedes with groaning too deep for words. And God who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. The passage says that when we're weak, when we don't know how to pray, have you ever felt that, by the way? You feel weak, you just, you don't know how to pray. You don't even know how to pray. The Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Now, what does that mean? Did you notice that he used this word before, groaning, in this passage, right? In verse 22, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together for the pains of, la uh, uh, together the pains of labor. You know, he's talking about, in, in verse 22, he's talking about the groanings of the creation. He's talking about our groaning, our pain, our suffering, right? And then in verse 26, in our weakness, spirit groans as she intercedes for us. The spirit suffers with us. The spirit suffers with us. So let's kind of talk about this a little bit more. First, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you, interceding for you. When you're weak, you're not alone. The Spirit is with you. The Spirit is rooting for you. The Spirit is strengthening you. You may or may not feel it, but the reality is that the power of God is with you to strengthen you. I want you to remember that. You know, and the way the Spirit prays is really interesting. I've just been kind of thinking about this, meditating on this. It, it, it uses the word groaning too deep for words, right? So I, it, groaning is just, uh, like, that's groaning, right? Like when you're in pain, you go, uh, groaning, right? <coughs> it's, it's, a, it's a guttural sound. Right? A spirit in us, the spirit of God is in us. This spirit, the way it prays is, is, is guttural. Oh. You know, it reminded me of um, a, a book by Eugene Peterson on Psalms when he talks about um, the forms of prayer, uh, various levels of communication. Um, he says, you know, first level of communication is guttural, like babies. When they learn to talk, they cry, ah, you know, you know they, they're, they're, they're just guttural creatures. <laughs> they're very young. They can't really say words, right? And then, and then later on, um, they learn to communicate information. I want, you know, cereal. I want this. I want juice. You know, and we, we learn to, um, you know, we learn to communicate Information. Later, later on, we learn to communicate our, our more complex thoughts and information and emotion, all of those things. And, and, uh, Eugene Peterson says that Psalms are a book of prayer, and most of the Psalms are prayers in level one of communication, guttural. It's just crying out to God. You know, the... This is how we feel, God. You know, bash the heads of our enemies, God. 
But that's how he feels. That's guttural prayer. That's authentic prayers. Like, how long, oh God, are you going to stay away? What is going on? Like half the, you know, about 40% of Psalms are laments. Laments are complaints to God. And some of them are not even theologically correct. One of them says, God, you know, you, you, I don't even know you. Just stay away from me. I'm going to die. I want to die. And that's how the psalm ends. That's a guttural prayer. Right? It's not about information. We often pray, we often think of prayer as like giving information to God as if God really needs to know all the information in order for him to do something about it. And, and that's good. That's good because we're uh, praying as a community and we need to communicate with one another as we pray to God. But if you really get down to it, communicating with God, prayer to God, this prayer of the Spirit, this groaning of the Spirit too deep for words, it's the groaning in our heart of whatever is in our heart. We, we think that we got to be all polite and nice when we pray to God or we feel like, ooh, God's going to do us, you know? That, that, that's, that's what we think. But the reality is God wants you to be honest with your feelings. Guttural. Because that's the prayer of the Spirit. That's the prayer of the Spirit. Sometimes I, I think about that as like speaking in tongues. You know, I have the gift of speaking in tongues, and I exercise it sometimes. And I just like, sometimes when I don't know what to say, I start speaking in tongues. I think it's a form of guttural prayer. But you don't have to do that. You can just like cry out honestly, authentically, in a real way to God. And I think as you learn to pray, as the Spirit desires to pray in your life, and groans too deep for words, you will see God embracing your pain. You will see God healing your pain. You will see God walking with you in your pain. The Spirit of God will guide you as you pray. The second part of this passage is, this, is that the Spirit suffers with us. Remember, we were groaning in pain, but now the spirit groans. And groaning is also, you know, it's a sound that you make when you're in pain, right? So we were groaning, now the spirit groans. God is not a God who is aloof from pain. We believe in a God who suffers with us and even for us. And when we suffer now, God is suffering too. This is something that we must keep in mind. If you don't see this, see this through the reality, or through the, see this through the spiritual practice of imagination. Don't imagine God as someone up there, kind of aloof, having nothing to do with your pain. Go, oh, oh okay, uh, you know, too bad you're going through that. I'm not going to do much about that because I got to tend to these guys. You know, that's not. It's not a picture of God presented to us in Scripture. It is God who suffers for us and with us. And here he groans, he suffers for us as he prays, as he intercedes for us. So see and imagine the truth through the eyes of your faith. 
Imagine God suffering for you. Imagine God who is for you. Imagine a God who loves you and gives himself for you. Imagine this God. And this, this will give you imagining beauty, that which is to come. Imagining the work he's doing, even if you don't see it. Imagining beauty, that which is to come. And knowing and engaging in, in allowing the Spirit of God in you with God in your groans, through your groans. If you're in pain, yell out to God, complain to God. This will help you. This will sustain you in times of trouble and hardship. Would you join me in a word of prayer? I want to take a moment now because I finished my sermon in 33 minutes. Um, I want to take a moment now to give you a time to just meditate. I want to, we're going to meditate on two things. One, I want you to, okay, first of all, sit down, close your eyes, make yourself comfortable. Imagine the beauty of that which is to come. Maybe the Spirit of God is giving you an image. Maybe the Spirit of God is giving you a word or a phrase. Just, Spirit of God, speak to us. Give us an image, a word, phrase. Lord, we thank you. We know that what we believe about the future, the image, imagination we have of the future completely changes the way we live in the present. If we don't see a future, if we don't see hope, it's hard for us to live. But when we see hope, when we see a positive future, when we see beauty, everything changes, even if we're in pain now. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the image. Continue to show us 
your beauty in every respect, who you are, just your presence, oh Lord. Maybe the beauty of what a tree would be like when everything is restored. Maybe the a beauty of what ocean would be like or, or what mountains would be like, the beauty of that which is to come. Help us to drive, help, help us to live in that beauty so that it will transform the way we approach our suffering now. And Lord, help us to see you who loves us, who cares for us. See you who invites us to be guttural in prayer. Invites us to be real with our emotion in our prayers. Not fake, not polite, but real. Politeness could be real too, so I'm not saying we shouldn't be polite, but we're saying, be real. Like the psalmists were. You don't have to be theologically correct even in your prayers. So will you take a moment now to just Meditate on the Spirit's desire to be real with God. Would you unclog? that thing that you have to control your life in front of God. Just be real with God. Just yell out when you need to yell out. Just cry out when you need to cry out. Just blur, but just speak in tongue when you need to speak in tongues. Allow Spirit of God in you to pray that prayer, groaning too deep for words. And Lord, as we do so, help us, sustain us through our difficulties, sustain us when things are not going right, sustain us when we lose hope. Lord. 